Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the JetRails podcast. I'm Robert, your host, and today we're going to be talking about linking shoppers away from your e-commerce website, from your e-commerce store. And it's an interesting topic that came up in conversation with today's guest, with Scott Rogerson. Um, and uh, with no further ado, Scott, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Absolutely. And, and first of all, thanks, Robert, for, for having me. I'm excited to dig into some of these important areas that we hear about all the time. As mentioned, I'm CEO of an organization called UpContent. We're a, a SaaS technology that helps marketing, sales, HR, or other internal teams more easily find, review, approve, optimize, and then distribute internally or externally uh, the content that's going to most resonate with their audience in a way that helps to educate them and better inform them to make better purchase decisions. Prior to that, ran a marketing agency for a number of years. That's actually where the idea or kernel of up content came from, was solving our own internal needs. Private equity before that, uh, different consulting roles prior to that. So excited to dig in today and try to see if we can piece all these things together and and answer some questions from your audience uh, at the same time. Before we get into the, the meat of the episode, how did UpContent get its name? I always love to ask about how tech companies <laughs> get formulated in that way. As I mentioned, I was running a marketing agency. One of the things for anyone who's ran a marketing department or an agency realizes is that margins are not the fattest uh, in those organizations. And so we were always looking for ways to be more efficient. Uh, my background's in economics. Comparative advantage is something that's really near and dear to my heart. So letting organizations... Uh, Letting human beings do the things that they're best at and letting technology do the things that it's best at to support the ability for those humans to do what they want. One of the things that our team was doing a lot of was research on our different clients, you know, their industries, what they were best at, uh, and identifying articles that were talking about the things that our clients wanted to espouse to their audiences. And they were always trying to come up with content or to bring up content or to find content. And so this idea of surfacing the best articles from this wide pool of content that continues to get deeper seemed to be coming up in conversation all the time. And so we thought, hey, we're going to bring up content. We kept on saying up content in sentences. And so it just became up content then. And that's how we got our name. Initially, it was an internal project of bringing up content, finding up content, and now since 2017, shifted away from the agency, and we kept the name. Awesome. And so I, I'm going to get right to the heart of it. You know, conventional wisdom would suggest that it's critical to keep e-commerce shoppers on site until they complete a transaction, that uh, there are, at this point, myriad tools that are really focused on uh Stopping people from abandoning their their shopping experience, from abandoning their shopping cart, uh, from going anywhere, trying to bring them back as quickly as possible, um, and, and not it's more or less you know don't pass go, don't do it, yeah. just stay right here and let me finish selling you something. Yes, 
What are your thoughts around that? Do you agree with that that way of thinking that so many marketers and uh, and others in the industry really espouse? Um, yeah. Or you know, what has the the data as an economist yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, led you to in your search for truth here? I think one of the you said as an economist. I think one of the things that we do as marketers and as economists is start to try to normalize things that are different, right? And what I mean by that in this context is that every site visitor is not someone who has the intent to purchase upon that visit. And so if they come to your site and all you're offering them is an opportunity to make a purchase, they're not happy with that visit and therefore not only won't purchase at that time, but probably will not come back to your site and purchase at any time. And so... I would in these conversations, and we have them a lot, as you would expect with e-commerce and even B2B organizations that wouldn't consider themselves e-commerce, they're offering services or other solutions, is that if that visitor is coming with an intent to purchase or an intent to convert, absolutely, we don't want to just stop them in their tracks and say, hey, here's a Forbes article I think you should read. Like, Don't distract them. Let them purchase, Right. Uh, but if they're coming and they're there to do research and they're there to better understand their problem and think about what solutions may exist for them or explore your brand. And as we know now more than ever, part of my purchase decisions as an individual are not just about whether your product is better than the next person's product, but whether I resonate with the values of your brand. And I can't experience that by just seeing that little card that says, here's a chocolate bar at $6. I don't know anything at that point. So I would agree that we don't want to distract those with an intent to purchase. We want to make that purchase process frictionless. But we also need to recognize that it's likely a vast majority of your customers, and of your site visitors, I should say, are coming to your site without that intent to purchase, right? There's no 100% conversion rate e-commerce site. And when we get excited about 6% conversion rates and 10% conversion rates, it doesn't mean that we are doing a terrible job for those other 90% and they would have made a purchase if we would have just set up our site in a different way. It's because the, probably the vast majority of those visitors never had an intent to purchase when they made their way to the site and they were looking for something else. And so you need to provide them that information as well. I think that it it makes sense just even in, in the physical world that there are few examples of brands that operate basically a retail warehouse. <laughs> now, usually you're looking at a, a good shopping experience. And so, I mean, there are the Costco's of the world, but they figure out how to add a food court and give out free samples and do other things to enhance the experience. And uh, obviously, you know, they're really, really, really selling on price uh, more than, than anything. But there are just countless examples of, you know, brands that make or break themselves <laughs> Uh, on the customer relationship and right. uh, and that brand identity and affinity that, that they're able to build. So I think it does parlay in, into the online world more than, than people realize. But you know, thinking uh, along you know, those lines, are there any specific merchants that come to mind when you think of, of brands that are doing a good job of sending shoppers off-site in a healthy way? Um, of yeah, I mean, really sharing yeah. that kind of impactful content or experience. And I think in a lot of cases, it ties beautifully into what you were just talking about, where it is those premium 
brands, those luxury brands, those who can charge a higher margin for their offering because you're not just buying the product, you're buying the brand. And you know, there is a, uh, just throw a, a name of an organization that we really enjoy actually working with, uh, Marsada Chocolate on the West Coast. They are a kind of luxury chocolatier uh, that's selling the experience beyond just the product, right? The pairings of the chocolate, the knowledge of how the chocolate comes to be, the fact that they're using these kind of old world methods to create the chocolate, but using kind of new and inventive flavors. In addition to that, they have to inspire that wanting, not just for chocolate, but for that chocolate from them, right? And so we have to talk about things like chocolate pairings and, uh, you know, wouldn't chocolate be great with a cigar? Wouldn't chocolate be great with that glass of red wine that you have, right? And tying those things together and giving those people who are sharing the passion for chocolate like the organization is. And that doesn't mean that every time you read an article about this pairing, we expect you to buy a chocolate bar right then. But it means that when you are experiencing those other things now that we've tied to this passion of, of chocolate, you're saying, wow, I really should visit this chocolate e-commerce site and maybe I should buy one or maybe I should buy one as a gift or, hey, this is a great brand that I really want to get behind and I want to drive my business there because this is not a Hershey bar, right? You're not spending that same dollar amount. This is, and from Pennsylvania, I love Hershey, but this isn't that experience. This is something greater. And so when you go to their site, you will see original content. You'll also see a what we're reading area that has curated articles. Brands that you probably know well, like Patagonia, does does this a lot as well, where they're sharing articles and uh, distributing content by the organizations that they care about, you know, the ecological organizations, what's happening with world wildlife. And they're using their platform to drive traffic to those publications, to those causes. And they're not instead saying, oh, you've made it here, buy a vest. You're not leaving until you do, right? It's no, this is who we're about. If you believe in what we believe in, purchasing our product not only is good quality, but it's also going to align with your beliefs and your values. Um, and you know, going back to one of the things you said, one of my first jobs was at Ritz Camera, which you know some may remember, right? The one-hour photo where you actually had to develop film into actual prints. Uh, but we also sold all these cameras and, and I was working there when like digital cameras were a new thing, right? And so most of the people who came in looking at cameras were just browsing and anyone who's been in retail, right, has heard just browsing far more than yes, I'm ready to buy. And I think we often forget that when we think about e-commerce. And if I were to every person who came in to figure out what the heck a digital camera was to close that ugly steel gate on the store door in the mall and say, look, you're not leaving until you buy one of these cameras. You can pick whatever one you want, but you have to buy it. That's likely not going to get more people to want to come in. And so what we were trained on and what we want to do with these sites is to help educate and be that source for showcasing them. What the heck's a megapixel? What does optical versus digital zoom mean, right? What's the form factor? What does waterproof actually mean? And maybe some of those individuals did go out and use that knowledge somewhere else but they'll still remember that they got the knowledge from this little young kid inside of a Ritz camera store who looked like he knew what he was talking about. And they may refer the next person or they may be coming back for that next camera or they'll come back for some accessories or something as well. And so it's always about that long game 
and not just that single purchase, but the repeat purchase. And so I think those are the organizations who do it best that are truly trying to develop a customer relationship. If you're that kind of organization, like to your point, there are some brands that are all about margin, right? And, and they're just trying to go and sell it at the lowest possible cost. And in that case, you probably don't need to overinvest in all that. And maybe just trying to get anybody who makes their way to your site to convert, maybe that is the best way because that's all you got. That's your model, right? That's the only option that people have when they get to your site. But for everybody else, I think it's important to step back and think about the other reasons people may be finding your site and the process that they may need to go through. And instead of trying to short circuit that process, make it easier for them to get to the end. And if the only thing that you're really offering the shopper is the cheapest price, it's pretty easy for someone else to come along for a competitor to figure out how to undercut you just a little bit. And at that point, you have no more value proposition left that you don't really stand out in other ways. Um, and it happens. Uh, yeah. You know, I, it happens to folks with their own e-commerce websites to the same way that it happens to folks in places like Amazon, where the buy mm-hmm. box, the buy button is really just going to, you know, so often whoever's offering it for a few That's pennies right. less. So uh, right. trying to fight that commodity war is a difficult long-term war, you know, (laughs) the battles keep raging. It's hard to be sustainable to your point, right? Maybe I won today, but at some point, someone may do it cheaper, right? And Or otherwise I have to keep cutting and cutting and cutting. And that's a very difficult way because as we know, particularly if you are uh, the one who's creating those products as well or those solutions, that cutting has to then come from somewhere. And so either you're going to have an increased cost in returns or support or addressing those issues, responding to bad reviews, and there's your cost. Maybe you saved it on the the product side, but you're losing it elsewhere. Uh, Or you can really try to be that group that stands out and give yourself that breathing room to build those relationships, make them want to keep coming back, make them want to refer others to your site reduce the support problems and the returns and be able to be a far more sustainable organization that has long-term value versus just a short-term gain of getting that sale. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, about those things a lot. And, you know, you talk to to merchants that even in the last year, you know, seeing folks that started to sell masks and started to sell other products, they had a customer base. It wasn't about being the the cheapest place they had a brand and a following and so they can introduce new offerings and so you know back to thinking about ritz camera and um and how a business like that changes a lot when you have a strong brand you have opportunities to pivot into new product Mm -hmm. lines into new things more easily to a more captive audience who already has a good feeling uh, about shopping with you and doing business with you when you are just really about the commodity purchase of, is this the cheapest place to buy it today? Uh, people don't necessarily think of you in that way. And they're not necessarily, you know, if you're not providing them content and driving them back uh, and, and having that experience, it, it's often a lot harder to pivot. Um, and <laughs> everything yeah. changes. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, thinking about some of this content, you know, I know that sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is, to try to copy content and keep it all on site as much as possible. 
And on the one side for a marketer, you know, you want to keep them on the website when you can. And you want to, uh, you know, have content to rank and such to help with SEO and other efforts if you're running, you know, different ad campaigns where, you know, having content that you can drive people to that, uh, that uses certain keywords or is really focused on certain topics can potentially be helpful. Then again, you don't necessarily want duplicate content, things that are, uh, that are available elsewhere verbatim. Uh, it's like you plagiarized. Uh, right. You know, I, right. what are your thoughts on the balance of, you know, having third party, third party content on site versus linking off site or embedding or using iframes yeah. or all of these different options? Is there a way to slice and dice it well? Yeah, this is such a juicy topic area that really comes up every time. And so, you know, we do have a number of conversations where the desire is get more traffic to my site, right? And so I'd like to find as the potential customer, a way to get more traffic to my site through putting in their mind, through putting content onto my site that I don't have to write. And if that doesn't cause more traffic to come to my site, I don't see value in in the offering. And so that's a coaching opportunity. Like let's unpack and explore that. And it often comes to me with that little meme of like Willy Wonka from the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory sitting there with his hand like this on his chin and like, tell me how much time you have to see that success. Because you've now presented yourself as someone who wants the SEO wizardry to occur, but isn't willing to dedicate the time to create original content in order to achieve that value. And so where we like to unpack that idea is you have two options when it comes to presenting someone else's article onto your site. Option one is you go to that publisher and say, Madam Publisher, I would like to reprint your article onto my site and I will give you X number of hundreds of dollars to do that, right? Most people don't like that option. Uh, and many times publishers won't even entertain that option on a one-off basis. You have to purchase the whole subscription, which is often tens of thousands of dollars a year to do that per publisher. Option two then is where we like to think about a true curation strategy, and that's following the guidelines of fair use. And so fair use, and you can you know Google it, it's quite the rabbit hole. It's a very gray area still of what this really means. And so being a former internal auditor, we take the ultimate conservative approach to fair use. But pretty much as a non-attorney, when you boil down the ideas of fair use, the goal is twofold. It's if you're going to utilize someone else's article, you need to do it in a way that makes it easy for that reader to navigate to the original article. And you need to do it in a way that doesn't remove the incentive for that reader to want to navigate to the original article. Those are our two litmus tests, right? Uh, So what that means is those of us who have maybe at some point in the past found a great article and taken the article and created it as a blog and at the bottom said, this article originally appeared in Forbes and did a link to Forbes. That meets the first criteria, but it objectively fails the second one, right? Because if you're giving me the full article, I have no reason to go and read it on Forbes. I just read it. So why would I click out to go and read it on Forbes? And so what we want to make sure we're doing for any third-party content is presenting a enough to give that reader a reason 
And by presenting that article, we want to make sure we're doing it in a way that also shares why we are even presenting that onto our site, right? It gives me as a reader a feeling that this must be valuable because of everything that you and I just talked about, right? If you're taking real estate out of your site to present a third-party article, it must be pretty good. And I'd love to know why you think it's so good that I should want to go in and read it. And so sharing the headline of the article, an image associated with it, and probably a couple sentences on why you think this is valuable for your target to then want to go in and read it is important. Um, if Back to the chocolatier, if they wanted to send me to content that explained how chocolate was a vegetable and was the most sustaining uh, part of, of someone's diet, I would love right. to go and read that, that that would make me very happy. <laughs> and you know what? You actually, there's a, an amazing amount of research right now around the health benefits of chocolate, right? And so there are a lot of great, and this is something that this group is doing, sharing those articles that they're finding talking about the health benefits. Because if I, as a chocolatier, wrote a blog post around, here's how healthy chocolate is for you, you'd be like, yeah, of course, right? You're going to say chocolate's healthy. You sell chocolate, right? So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to believe that as much as if you shared other content. And then I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And as we know, in many cases, and we'll get back to the technical bit, but most people remember whom brought them to the article, who brought them to the article, then they necessarily even remember where the article was, right? It was that great article that Robert shared with me. Like, oh, where was it? I, I don't remember, right? But I do remember who shared the article with me. And it's the same at the brand level. It's this chocolatier always shares great stuff. Like, oh, where is it from? I don't know, all over the place. It's always so good, right? And so I'm associating all of that goodness with the brand once again, not necessarily with the publisher, but I am doing it in a way that allows me to go in and read the article on that publisher site. So they're getting the traffic and the credit for the work that they've done. To your point about the technical side, there are generally, if we, if we now move away from copying and pasting, because we've now objectively said that that's wrong, there are ways to also implement these little snippets of the content. You know, one way that we've seen often are through different plugins that will create a little iframe window. And inside of there, you can have the articles from your favorite feeds or things that you've approved, maybe. Or maybe I have a subdomain that's loading another page that has those articles inside of it. Technically, there are challenges with both of those. And just how iframes perform from a user experience perspective, right? We all remember those terrible double scroll bars when we get into one of those map plugins and we now are somehow in Topeka where we started in Pittsburgh and I'm really just trying to get back up to the top nav of that page, but I can't seem to get out of this box. We don't want that to happen with third-party content. And in addition, there's a lot of research showing that the crawlers have no freaking clue what's inside of that box. So you're really not doing yourself any benefit there. So if we are presenting third-party articles in a way that complies with fair use, we want that code to be part of the site DOM. So when the crawler is reading through it, it sees that this is a third-party article. There is a lot of research of the value of having outbound links that are contextually relevant. So if I'm a chocolatier and I share a lot of outbound links that link out to high domain authority sites that also are talking about chocolate, it does give me this relevance of context that you are who your friends are, kind of an idea from a crawler perspective. In addition to that, you can now, the ideal would be to place those articles on the same pages as other content that you do want to rank higher. So 
we've all seen this on uh, publishers where they have the main article and they've got some kind of other things you might be interested in reading. We can accomplish that as well. And the benefit there is if we can update those curated articles more frequently than the original piece, it is updating the updated timestamp on those pages. Therefore, those pages are seen as fresher to the crawler, which is also beneficial. What we don't want to do is just leave all of our curated articles in some isolated subdomain that's actually hosted by somebody else that has nothing to do with our domain beyond a DNS record. And then not only do we not get any engagement over there, it doesn't benefit our domain itself at all. And any engagement that does occur doesn't relay back up to our main domain. It's to some other random subdomain. And so that's the final point is that we do know that these curated articles that are obviously addressing a, a individual who's visiting your site who doesn't yet have the intent to buy in most cases has about twice the engagement rate as them wanting to go in and read your blog when they don't have the intent to buy yet. And so getting them to engage, click on something on your page. If they're not purchasing, that's the next best thing, right? Longer time on site, get them to click on something because that engagement is also relayed back from an SEO perspective. And so what we like to talk about, if we're only focusing on the website, and I know we'll talk about using content and other channels probably next as well, but if we only care about the website and that's all we got, the goal of curated articles on your website, you should not evaluate the success or failure of that from did I get more traffic because of the keywords on those articles, but it is for the people who are coming to my site, are they having a better experience? Are we getting greater engagements? Are we getting longer time on site? Are we able to then translate those engagements into a future conversion? Because now we've educated them, they're stimulated, let me retarget and get them back. Those would be the proper metrics to evaluate success or failure for curated articles for your brand, not I'm gonna put this content on there, now I don't have to write anymore, and I'm gonna let the SEO wizard do their thing, and I'm just gonna sit back for the next year in order for that curve to catch up. Makes sense to me. And you, you mentioned other channels. So now you've got my interest peak. I said, we've been talking about on-site issues and you know keeping people on-site, but it is a pet peeve for me when I see marketing campaigns that are 100% focused on, here are the products you should buy for whatever reason, because they're new products, they're on sale, they're on clearance. Um, because you've purchased yeah. these other products, because you might want to replenish these products that you've used up already, because we know you bought them in the past and they don't last forever. Uh, whatever the case may be, that that gets exhausting. Uh, yes. That you know, I, and I usually when I see email campaigns like that or, or other marketing channels like that, you know, social media uh, accounts that post nothing but but that sort of uh, really really direct sales content. I won't usually stick around with those in the long haul. I'll either ignore them or uh, or remove myself from them at some point when I get around to it. Uh, Is it, you know, what is the impact of sharing third party content through your marketing channels? Is that, um, you know, because I I think that, you know, there are probably some good use cases but at the same time, maybe it's it's just figuring out the balance, like a 70% your stuff, 30% just sharing top news and pieces, interesting information and, you know, uh, things that yeah. are just going to captivate people and make them happy that they looked. Right. And I think that's a really great point. And 
I think the biggest piece is to focus on your content mix as a strategy and get away from the like, I don't have anything to post today. So I'm just going to go find something today. It just happened to be that I don't have anything else to write right now. Because that's not a strategy. You can't measure that. You're not going to see success there. What we've actually seen in a lot of cases is that that mix is important because of that engagement rate. Um, Convincing Convert did a very interesting study a couple of years ago now where they looked at a few thousand social profiles and analyzed their content mix. What they actually found was that when they broke it out into kind of self-promoters, which are the groups that you're talking about, right? It's all about me all the time to those who don't have anything about themselves to say. And then those who are kind of in the middle. And interestingly, or maybe not as interestingly, when you look at an engagement rate perspective, the people who are only sharing third-party stuff all the time got really great engagement rates. The people who are only sharing stuff about themselves didn't get as great. So it was like 4X over the people who are only sharing stuff about themselves. And then the people in the middle were like 2X if I was only sharing stuff about myself when I shared like half third-party and half original. So, you know, one, two, four. That's fine if all you care about is engagement, right? Which we don't. And please don't. Right, because it doesn't matter how many fans you've got. Right, it's as we talked about in the beginning. It's getting people to your site who have an intent to purchase. And so, what they also analyzed, which was the really interesting piece, was the conversions, number of conversions per post. So that ratio. And what they saw was, you know, people who are only sharing third-party stuff got nothing because there's nothing to convert off of. It's only articles from third parties. And then when you looked at the comparison between the balanced group and the self-promoters, the balanced group saw about twice the number of conversions per post, even though only half of the posts had conversions in them, than those who were posting conversion-oriented content 100% of the time. And so when you peel that back, this got me all excited from the economics viewpoint. When you start peeling that back, why is that the case? It's because I'm utilizing these third-party articles to not be that pushy salesperson and saying, hey, every time I talk to you, I'm asking you to buy. Like Those are also the phone calls you don't answer. Those are the emails that you ignore. Those are the social profiles you stay away from. Those are those people in those lovely children's boutiques who are the aggressive salesperson that makes you not want to go into there anymore, even though the stuff in there is pretty freaking cool, right? Because you just don't want to deal with that person again. And now that you've gotten more people to be attracted to your brand, to your organization, because you're sharing things that are, hey, surprisingly, I'm going to give you stuff that's valuable to you, stuff that you're interested in, not the email to your point that is written as a, here's stuff that you should buy, right? But it's, here's what I want you to buy as the brand is pretty much what those emails are. So instead, translate that to, here are some things I think are going to be valuable for you to read based upon the interest that you've shown me from what you purchased, right? That's a pretty interesting view. And then also then you can have some of the promotions, but have them in line with your value to the space in the inbox that you're allowing or the thumb level scroll that you've now reached to get them to stop and want to read something that you've provided that gives them value that's only beneficial to the brand And there are many great tools. We partner with one of them uh, called Snipply that would allow you to overlay a call to action only for the content that you've then recommended. So I'm giving you, publisher, a new uh, visitor. 
but I'm also taking a little piece of the pie to my, for myself and putting a call to action to then take you back to my site. If you like this article about chocolate and cigars, come see our new chocolate and cigar lovers pack, right? Now I've made that connection and now I can generate even more conversions off of just the third party articles. So as we said, the curated articles on a website, the goal is not to drive traffic. Curated articles in these other channels, the goal is actually to drive traffic. So that's really the way that we've seen most success in thinking about the use of content outside of the site. Bit of a balancing act. So in essence, e-commerce website owners, when possible, shouldn't try to act like used car salespeople <laughs> and, and shouldn't make their, uh, their raison d'etre, their only reason for existing to, uh, to stand next to the, the shopper and try to talk them into the purchase uh, and not let and them look left or right, just put some blinders on. That's right. And don't let them leave, right? So it'd be like walking yeah. in and then they stand in front of the door until you find the car you like. Yeah. That's not a good way to well, grow your business. So speaking of putting blinders on, you know, there, I don't know if there's an elephant in the room, but maybe a horse. Uh, what does it look like for the e-commerce merchant and, and their marketers uh, to manage that kind of campaign of finding and approving and integrating the right content, both on site and in marketing campaigns. Because I imagine at that point, and I mean, look, in large corporations, there are, you know, entire employees devoted to reading industry news and (laughs) reporting back what what the important happenings are and what competitors are up to and and what's going on in the world that, um, you know, that happens in PR and other departments. But you know, for uh, for maybe a, a growing e-commerce brand or a mid-market uh, e-commerce store, what can they do to make this more palatable uh, on their workloads and uh, you know just more realistic? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question, and I'm sure those who are listening and and thinking through this process, your heart rate's probably increasing a little bit about just all the things that you now have to do or. or would like to now be able to do. Some of you have probably already tuned this out because there's just no freaking time to do any of this stuff. And I think manually doing all of those things, right? Finding the content, getting it into the right place, going through the review process, crafting what you want to say about it, and then manually copying and pasting it onto the website, creating the social post, putting it into an email, etc. That takes a lot of time. For us on the agency side, when we were doing it, it took about a day a week right, for someone to accomplish that. So that's eight hours a week, way too much time, is what we thought, and probably what you think, and probably what those who are listening to this think as well. You know, I could write a piece in that amount of time and, and do that kind of stuff. Not that that's always the right choice. What we then tried to do was find a tool to solve some of that for us. We couldn't, we created one. And so if you do have the right technologies, with the right integrations, which I think is the important piece as well, not siloing the finding from the distribution, uh, but tying the tools that you're using to find into the tools that are already great for you for distribution. You know, what, whatever you're using to create your pages, making sure it integrates with that. Whatever you're using to manage your email campaigns, make sure it integrates with that. Whatever you're using to share to social, make sure it integrates with that. What you don't want is I'm going to use this tool for social media for my original content. Then I have to go and use this tool for my curated articles. 
or curated on autopilot, but it's over here and I forgot to manage it. Now it's sharing some crazy stuff because the world's now on fire and I look like an idiot. And I have to go back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't care about you enough. So I chose to automate this. But now I'm not going to do that anymore. So I think the if you find the right stack, the right tools, we've seen that eight hours a week get cut to two hours a week if I'm still doing a lot of that effort manually in terms of the review and approval and publishing. If I'm becoming even more automated, we've seen it go down for many of our customers to 20 minutes a week and having everything get distributed. And we even have some customers who don't even have 20 minutes and need it to be fully automated. The one caveat I would say there is depending on where you are in that manual to automated continuum, yes, fully automated is going to save you lots of time, but you do lose the authenticity of what's being presented in that case. And you aren't going to see the same level of return as you would if you only automate the things that should be automated, meaning the discovery and the distribution, and you still remain manual in the review and approval and crafting some of that unique perspective, because that's really where the content and the value to your customers and the perspective of the brand come together. So we do try to work to help our customers reach that key balance. Uh, This is not the silver bullet that just makes the, the world rain pennies. This is going to be the process to help make sure that you're spending the right amount of time on the right areas and not just adding yet another thing that you have to do in a siloed task. Well, and if we're going to make it rain money, let's let's stick with hundreds. Pennies hurt. <laughs> it's a great song. Pennies from heaven. One of my favorites. You that enjoy is a great it. song. Uh, that really is. Um, before we wrap it up, Scott, you've been really generous with your time today, and uh, I've certainly learned a few new tricks. But uh, any final thoughts, any words of wisdom, any prognostications for the future, anything we, we didn't quite capture that you think uh, that our listeners should be aware of? I think the brief conversation we had about the continued prominence of the brand uh, where we kind of went through the shift of just trying to find a lot of low-cost things. And that was kind of what the e-commerce way was, was just find the cheapest stuff. And now I don't have to go to the store because I can find it cheaper online. I think we're starting to see a shift off of that, particularly over the past year of like, who am I actually buying this from? What are they all about? And yes, I'm willing to pay a little bit more if I can get comfort with where it's coming from. I think we're becoming more educated as a consumer base about what that means. Uh, and I think that's only going to grow in importance. We're already seeing the statistics prove that out. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to be thinking about that, particularly if we have an e-commerce brand of who are we presenting as the brand? What's the brand all about? And are we being consistent or are we just pushing promotions? Uh, and then finally, I think the other piece is this content strategy piece and content mix is tough. Uh, it's not an easy thing and it's not a like, give me the recipe and I'm just going to execute it. And it's going to work for me just as well as it worked for them. Everyone has their own mix. Uh, and it's certainly something that I'd love to speak with anyone who has an interest in having that conversation, you know, whether or not you want to explore it in an up content context or just a curation context. As I mentioned, once a consultant, always a consultant. So those types of conversations, I just enjoy. And so happy to have those with anyone who would be open to it. Awesome. Well, uh, 
we really appreciate your time today and uh, we'll be sure to uh, share some information in the episode description as we always try to do in case anyone's uh, looking to get a little bit more info. And, you know, with that, you know, for our listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll have more great content like this for you soon. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, happy selling. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and be sure to share someone else, someone else's content this week. It'll feel good. Trust me. <laughs> thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it, and more importantly, we appreciate you.